Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Hi, welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, um, in our D&D class, uh, we started with Artificer last week. We're going to roll into Barbarians. I hope everybody's doing good. I hope that uh, the tickety talks and everything else is doing well. And that we're done with all the BS. But I don't think so. And uh, that's where we're at. So let's jump into some barbarian talk. We're going to talk about them barbarians there. So when most people play barbarians, uh, it, traditionally they dump stat intelligence, which doesn't make any sense to me. And the reason I'm saying that is because barbarians in history are very intelligent. Some of the most intelligent ones ever. They did things that were amazing. Astronomical. And so when we talk about barbarians, I encourage us not to use the intel as a dump stat. They don't have to be dumb. I don't understand where that came from either. Like, who was the first person to be like, I'm going to make a barbarian, and I'm just going to make him absolutely dumb. It's, the trope itself makes me mad, even though some of the people who play the characters make me very happy. Like, uh, Mr. Travis Willingham is a good example of a barbarian with a low end that just made me laugh. But it doesn't have to be. Again, historically, barbarians are very smart. They created tools and did things before other people. Um, so we're going to just run through Barbarian, and then we're going to jump into some of the subclasses and talk about them a little bit, because that's what we do. We just talk. It's a podcast. It's a talk show. I'm opening up my book, because it's always good to look at the player's handbook and just see what the beginning is written. We're not going to stick around in there, but to be fair, I never read the very, very beginning. Obviously, the first thing we got to talk about is how different Barbarians are. Having a low-intelligence barbarian is one way of playing a barbarian. There are other ways to play barbarians. But when we talk about the rage, we're going to hit on stuff that a lot of people either haven't thought of or are thinking of. G-Rath is here and talked about classic barbarians like Conan, and um, if you followed the classic barbarians like Conan, Conan was not a classic barbarian. Conan was a classic rogue turned barbarian. So he multiclassed. For some, it says here at the beginning, like, talking about just the rage, and that's the big thing about barbarians, is their rage and the many things that they can do. Though there's more to the class, it's something that a lot of people pay attention to. It talks about the different kinds, like, um, charging, laughing of a frost giant. Uh, the next one is hand-to-hand, half-orc, breaking the neck of somebody, whatever. Frothing at the mouth, slams his helmet into the face of his drow foe and turns to drive his armored elbow into the gut of another. So when we think about them, what we're describing here are brutes, but it's true and it's false at the same time. When we talk about historical barbarians, I'm not talking about the mythology of barbarians. I'm talking about those that people considered barbaric and where barbarian would come from in a lot of our class. And so one of the things people think of are like Viking and Berserker types and just excellent hand-to-hand combat people and do a lot of damage, take a little bit of damage so they could take a hit. And when we think about the Viking people in and of themselves, the old Norsemen of old, we 
need to remember that we're talking about people who knew it was just as important to take a hit as it was to give a hit. But also, the reason people were jealous of them is because they showered, they used soap, they washed their hair. Even civilized society at the time they were doing that didn't do that. And that's because they came up with ways to make themselves more hygienic, make themselves, in their minds by doing that, better warriors. When we look at these things, we have to remember that as a barbarian. Now, I'm not telling you that if playing a low-intelligence barbarian would be funny for you or you have a good idea, um, I'm not trying to sway you from doing such a thing. My old DM, one of the first characters he played in one of my campaigns was a barbarian, and he made low intelligence, high wisdom. And it was a really cool play, and it was really funny because people would just underestimate him because of what they rated his intelligence to be, even though he was smarter in the end than a lot of other people. Stereotype barbarian class, or niche, I should say, because it's not really stereotyped, the way people play them, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, when it comes to having an equal party, if everybody's super intelligent, it's okay to play somebody who's not as intelligent. But I do want to talk about this, because anybody, you look at the skills of D&D, and you look at like a 10, and you go, oh, okay, that's normal. It's not but that's what people claim to be normal. When we look at, like, an intelligence of eight, that is not a low intelligence. Average intelligence is not the average number of the game. We should probably get into that a little bit more before we jump into it. So when we think of... Yeah, what's a good rating one? Oh, strength is always a good one. So let's look up some strength strength modifiers in D&D here real quick. And let's talk about this so that you understand, because it's going to translate as much as it does. And I like the strength one because a lot of people can relate to the strength one. What's your carrying capacity when it comes to strength? We've talked about it, is 15 times your strength score. So let's use 10. Your carrying capacity is 150 pounds. That is not average. <laughs> Even in the army... We used to march around with 80, 90 pounds in our back. Airborne people have way more when they go to jump out of planes and such. Uh, uh, um, the, the, sorry, brain is not functioning. I think the heat's getting to me. The, the, when they do airborne, they have like 180 pounds. But the movie has it right. If you like see Band of Brothers or things like that, where they reach down and help each other up because of how heavy it is, that's a really good representation. That's 150 pounds. Now, we have these conversations all the time when we start talking about how far you can travel in D&D, right? Or any role-playing game. What is the rate of travel? What are we doing? How long is it? You know, it's not 24 hours. It's not even 12 hours. You get to a point where you're going to have to start making throws. Now, without us backtracking into older episodes, I just want to take a look at what the strength ability means in measuring it. If our modifier or our strength score, right, is a 10, we have a modifier of a zero. I already told you we can judge this. It's 150 pounds. Now imagine carrying 150 pounds 25 miles every day. That would be your character. Does that mean they're super strong? Well, no, because just to start off, you can get to 20. The modifiers in the book go to, or I'm sorry, the skills in the book go to 30 for the modifiers. 
So where are we getting all of this weird look for it? Well, I think it comes from we don't understand what normal or average is. And if you were to look it up, it would say a score of 10 or 11 is the normal human average. But that's not true at all. I was in the army carrying 80 pounds, right? So I just said that um, it was divided by 15. So let's see what that would be. A modifier or a, a score of five <laughs> would be the average in the army. And that was tough. And we did it all the time. And we would march 25 miles. That's the score, not the modifier. That would be a modifier of negative three. So when you look at intelligence and you think eight is low, it's not. Eight is actually higher than average. I know that intelligence, well, at least us as human people in America at least, judge intelligence by IQ. We don't ever, well, common people judge it by IQ. People in studies use IQ, EQ, and uh, disseminating information as resources. So when we look at an eight intelligence, it doesn't mean that we're dumb, but a lot of people play it as dumb. An intelligence score, as we're talking about, let's just translate it, a five would be average. And that means anything less than a score of five would be in the negative portions of it. So, again, when you're playing your modifiers out and you have an eight, it doesn't mean low intelligence. It, does, it means that you're not high intelligence. And I don't understand using what we can in measurable amounts where we come up with 10 being the average for humans. That actually makes me laugh. I want to spend more time on that article, so I am going to um, go ahead and put a pin in that so I can read it later. <laughs> because that one actually makes me laugh a lot. But let's jump into the barbarian thing. So what I'm saying is don't just dump out intelligence. And even if you do have a low intelligence score, don't treat it like it's dumb. Because you're not. In measurable amounts... From what we've seen, it's not. I remember as barbarians were growing up, they used to be a little different. And I'd have to read into it a little bit more because I've only played a barbarian once in recent history. But I just want to say that your barbarian can be very articulate, which I am not today, obviously. Your barbarian can be very smart, can be very wise. Um, I have... On the TikToks, a character creation of using a barbarian with a higher intelligence. Just something I wanted to do. Barbarians swing heavy things. This is not... I mean, if you look at what a barbarian gets, and when we're talking about the game, we want to concentrate on that. But I'm going to bring a little bit of history every time we talk about these, including when we get the bards. But they talk about the primal instincts, the life of danger. And then it goes into, like, creating the barbarian. But remember that for... The D&D &D game, at least, the barbarian is somebody who lives outside of a city. Does that make them wrong? No, it makes them country. And uh, if you want to just compare that, it's a little bit more into that. Barbarians, though, have different primal paths, which will guide you in how you build your barbarian. And as times come out, more books come out, we have more paths that we get to look into. And so let's break these down a little bit. The Path of the Ancestral Guardian. It's out of Xanathar's Guide to Everything. 
we know that barbarians go out swing do a ton of damage ancestral guardian is going to bring us back to a more of a de- uh, a defender thing using it not necessarily as a tank but a protector big brother kind of look i think would be a better way to put that the path of the ancestral guardian a reason a lot of people don't like it is like it doesn't put out more damage it doesn't Let's go through it, and then I'll let you make a decision, but it seems pretty cool to me. So, Ancestral Protectors, um, it's a taunt mechanic in the game. And I I use that in quotes because, I mean, it is what it is. Attacking anybody but you as an Ancestral Protector in this makes them do the attacks at disadvantage. And they do half damage to those other people. Attacking in general... With somebody with Ancestral Protector around would seem useless if you're playing D&D as a war game, which is not a wrong way of playing D&D. For those of us that are a little bit more RP, how would they know what this person is doing? So you're going to have to talk about that in my games where you're going to have to get a little bit more into the roleplay or the backstory. And you don't have to hit anything. So, obviously, using Reckless Attack is not going to change much for you here. They have Spirit Shields, right? And so, um, it uses your reaction, increases your party's survivability. This is the attacking support character, right? So, they are still going to have all of the mechanics that come with and all of the cool stuff that comes with the Barbarian, minus the extra stuff. But they will help hmm, will help your party a little bit more as an ancestral guardian, which kind of plays into that if you think about it. They actually talk to spirits, clairvoyant of a kind, right? To look around. Um, Mike was doing TikToks about using silent or... Uh, one of the spells about servants <laughs> uh, to, to do your, your looking ahead for your party. Big into ancestors, big into spirits of the ancestors. When I think of that, I think more shaman. And they've tried for years to come out with a shaman class that is, I wouldn't say relatable, but like not overpowered, not overbearing. And it's been very difficult. We really haven't had a good one in D&D 5e yet. But there's always a way to do it. And... I encourage you to try things and make new things, especially if your players want to do it. But this gives them that, as well as being a big beefy boy. Now, if they want to be a spellcaster, this probably isn't going to be the best. Think of it more like holy person who is a protector. So an ancestral guardian, path of the ancestral guardian barbarian, is going to be overprotective of the people around him or her, them. I am going to get that right one of these days. The rage is what is going to change. And I don't mean the rage itself changes because it doesn't. The rage changes because of how it happens. So what is a barbarian's rage? Where does it come from? What are the what do the rules say? Well, let's look. I got the player's handbook right here and we'll open it right up. In battle, you fight with primal ferocity. On your turn, you can enter a rage as a bonus action. While ranging, it tells you what it happens here. And it doesn't say anything in here about what the rage is. It just says that a rage happens. And I've seen people talking about the rage being emotional. 
but as I'm reading through this, I'm not seeing that written in here. So if you have that, or if you want to comment on this as a podcast later, would love to hear where you guys get this idea that rage has anything to do with emotion. Rage doesn't have to be anything. Rage could be just what it is. Whatever gets the blood pumping, gets you moving, gets you in the zone. Rage could be focus. There is focus rage. I, I understand that wholeheartedly. People call it tunnel vision or, you know, uh, seeing red is another way. And it's usually associated with anger or emotion, but it doesn't have to be. Rage in and of itself can be anything. So if these were the spirits, your rage could be associated to your spirits with the ancestral guardian. Augury, clairvoyance are great because divination is awesome. Having that divination ability with this. And then um, the Vengeful Ancestor was kind of neat, too, that reflecting damage back to its attacker. The the spirit guarding you, even though a lot of this isn't built to help you, like you can't use some of the reactions when it comes to you exactly. The classic Berserker is where emotion part of it is, probably. Scales is a barbarian, but lizard folk having no emotion. His rage is literally... Primal ferocity. So when you think about rage in each of these, you have to understand the class. When you understand the class, then you understand it a little bit better. When I think of somebody who, and the ancestral guardians, respecting the ancestors, I don't think of somebody who's ignorant, unintelligent. Anything that we would put onto the barbarian trope of being stupid. I see this as somebody who's just guided by the spirits of their past, for however that is. And, and again, the very shamanistic, talking to my ancestor way of looking at it. The shaman getting you in touch with spirits is the thought process that I have with that. And so, who said that a shaman had to be peaceful, or a spellcaster, or any of those little things? This would be neat, and I would love to hear what you guys come with, like what the personality of some of these would be. It would be amazing. Path of the Battle Battle Rager. It's Rager, sorry. They use spiked armor. They can't get spiked armor for whatever reason. Your armor is taken from you somehow, Rust Monster. Blah, blah, blah. I remember, why am I thinking there's a Battle Rager in Pathfinder? And again, all of them, even though they have this ferocity about them which you were talking about but this is more like battle prowess it's really interesting that every time i see somebody play a battle rager they are very eq high very high on the emotional maturity level in in the characters and i don't know if that's because people are playing that way or because they choose to try to switch it up or something about the battle rager puts it in there it's funny to me because i was reading through notes on some of this trying to find like how people have used these different barbarian things in the past and i read about like what was the comment a you get a free attack using your bonus action i don't understand that because you can use your bonus action to get an attack with an offhanded weapon but basically what you you get an extra attack with bonus action. You have spiked armor. It had properties, and I was reading through it fast, but I couldn't find all the properties. But I do know that it has AC. 
which will be problematic depending on how you build your barbarian because barbarians have natural abilities. They add different things to their unarmored unarmored defense. That's what it was. It's dexterity and con plus 10 without wearing any armor. The armor itself will give you 16 AC and that's to have the spiked armor. Talk to your DMs. If they're going to go for it, that's fine. It is what it is. But again, 16. I don't know why that would be bad. Um, and I'm thinking more standard array building your characters where you know uh 15 14 13 12 10 and 8 as your scores why 16 seems like it would be a little high yeah because i can only see a 14 with no armor or maybe it's just because a lot of people roll them out or have very high stats whatever your table is doing it's a way to um just offset that a little bit AC versus the unarmored thing is, again, more how it's built, what you're playing, how you want to play it. You don't necessarily have to be like, oh, I need the most amount of AC, which one's going to give me more. Which a lot of people, when they talk about min-maxing, they fall into that. There is a cool feat with Battle Ragers that I like. It's called the Battle Rager Charge. So, it does work functionally as similar as like the Charge charger feet itself and you have to make a decision like are you going to use your bonus action to use this or are you going to use it to attack you playing the character need to make it interesting so when you're talking about stats and doing a lot of damage of course i'm not going to use that battle rager charger but if i'm looking at somebody who's trying to control a battlefield i'm going to use that charge a little bit more we have to remember when we talk about even min maxers when you're talking about the most amount of damage just hitting one person a lot does not control a battlefield and it can turn on you instantaneously your dice could betray you instantaneously and we talked about what you could do in combat combat and so just Make sure that your characters are not one-trick ponies. They that one-on-one -on -one combat, they're really good. But if there's two or more, they have to focus their attack. They really can't do anything. These are things pitfalls you don't want to fall into. Spiked retribution. I wrote on here as a note that it doesn't do a lot of damage, but when you have a bunch of enemies that have a bunch of multiple attacks, that spiked armor, the spiked retribution, is going to help you out a ton. These are little things to look at. Battle Ragers are way more lethal in Pathfinder than they are in D&D. So that's another thing to look at if this is something that you're like, I want to do this. It is a game platform itself to look at. And there are ways, thinking about it, if you wanted to, to translate that over to D&D. Just because you see something in a game system does that, in, that you want to bring to a story, no matter what. If you see something in D&D and you wanted to bring it to a different game system that plays in that same genre, or even just tweak it so it fits that genre, I think storytellers, GMs, and DMs need to focus our skills a little bit. Don't do this to the brand new people that like your group of friends that decided to play something so the one guy picked up the book and started reading obviously don't hit them with this one right off the bat they don't understand enough about the mechanics of the game but if you want to take the battle rager look it over from pathfinder and bring it over or do something else or even the 3.5 ones and think about how they translate to 5e it just takes a little bit of planning the path of the berserker is the one i wanted to talk next not just because g Rath brought it up but because it's interesting. This is your iconic barbarian. 
This is the one when people think of the barbarian. This is what they're thinking of. In your face, getting mad, wrecking people. This is the guy you want. Somebody looking through different articles and what people write about these when I was looking it over on the internet, I found it interesting. I don't know if it's true, but it is now canon in my head that berserker literally means bear shirt. And it just made me think of my buddy John. And anybody who doesn't understand this is the joke is John's always wearing a sweater and that's just the way it is. And that's how I will forever think of him as a berserker. Berserkers get a ton and they have that rage cost right so when we look at rage and as I'm, I'm looking at this your rage lasts for one minute it ends early if you're knocked unconscious if your turn ends and you haven't attacked a hostile creature since your last turn or taken damage since then and then you can run, uh, end your rage as a bonus action I'm remembering a ton of different systems, and this is the first time I'm reading something along the lines of this, and I don't know if I'm getting rage and haste mixed up, but wasn't there exhaustion that was fundamentally part of coming out of rage, or was it only haste? And it's something I had to look up. I actually made this note, and I just did not have time to do it. Life's been busy. Again, hot hospital administrator, and we've been having issues because of the heat, and so it took a lot of my time, but... When you think of Berserker, that, and and more importantly, like some of the things that are in there, right? Intimidating presence, frenzy, retaliation, mindless rage. All these come back to that feeling of somebody who's lost control. But it doesn't need to be lost control. It's focused control. Unless you want to play it unfocused, it's written to be focused, meaning that you choose your enemy. You don't see red. You don't lose full control. This isn't anger issue. This is a warrior who concentrates anger. I don't even think we need to go through the rest of it, just what it is. And it is, like G-Rath said, when you think of barbarians, the berserker path is definitely it. Path of the Beast is new. It's out of, I believe, Tasha's. You get a form of a beast. So when you rage, you get to choose, I think, one of three options. You either get to bite something, claw something, or tail something. First off, I think the first time I heard this and I heard that you could tail something, that's all I ever wanted to do. As I look at it more, Barbarian is definitely not my play style. It's other people's play style. And there's nothing wrong with that. But man, just tailing something is just amazing to me. But anyways, so... They're all good, and you don't have to, like, choose one, right? So, bite, you can use uh, while both your hands are full doing something. So, if you want to grapple, hit, and then bite, it is something that you can do. Claws, always are good. I think that's one of the, I mean, besides sexy cat people, it's one of the call of the tabaxi people. It's just the, the extra claw damage for unarmed strikes. But the tail is so interesting to me. I look into the to this, understand that it's a lot of beast or being one with an animal. Think of a very melee druid, which you could play this into this character if you wanted to. It has things like bestial soul, infectious fury, at higher levels, call to the hunt. I would be, I'm going to be honest, I haven't played that, but I'm interested in playing that. There's Path of the Storm Herald, which we've all seen. If we watched Critical Role, or even if we haven't, definitely people have talked about it. 
from what I've seen, it, it leans heavily on bonus actions, what you can do with bonus actions in and of themselves. But choosing an environment that benefits your subclass is interesting depending on where you're playing, right? The storm aura on which one of those that you pick. And, and each of these has interesting what you can and can't do. None of these are bad, and I've heard people talk badly about, like, the sea. I get that when you're just doing a dungeon crawl and you're on dry land and there's no water and you're not doing anything underwater or anything like that, I can see why it's an issue. I can. I really understand why people don't like to, to take it. And and if you look through it, there's desert, sea, and tundra. So desert is you're attacking. Tundra is defending where sea has these other options. And they are interesting as you go on. They're not terrible, but they definitely give you something else that you can look into. It, it expands a little bit more. Storm Soul is where I think it gets interesting. You know, the the damage types that are in these. And then at higher levels, if you get there. Uh, Raging Storm, I think, is at 14, which is interesting as well. There's Path of the Totem Warrior, which a lot of people know about the totems. You know, the bear, the eagle, and the wolf are our main ones. Um, they added elk and tiger later on. Uh, I think that was the Storm Coast Adventure Guide. Sorry, I'm drawing blanks today. Usually I'm better. But it's okay. As an example, the totem spirits at third level, when you look at this, this is the... The, the basis of this is the totem that you have. And it can be a necklace, something, something, a totem, not meaning like uh, shaman totems from World of Warcraft where they just pop up, but like a totem, something that has meaning to you. And this is like the bear has the pile of damage resistance. And I, I think there's extra, the, the hit points. Eagle is one of those that's kind of funny, but... Running around between enemies really isn't a barbarian thing unless you're trying to control a battlefield. These are things to think about. So the elf and the tiger, elk and the tiger were Star Coast adventures. Elk gives you faster movement, but you already have fast movement. And so increasing it, I guess, would be interesting. It does give you that, I think, the pounce on there. I wasn't sure. I was thinking tiger. Because elk is running and tiger is jumping, if I remember right. I didn't do a lot of research into those two because I don't remember a lot of people playing those. Tiger is interesting as you go up. Aspect of the Beast is one of those. That would be your sixth level ability for a barbarian. Where tiger added more to it. In fact, when it comes to like all the sixth level ones, I think it's the one that does the most amount for you. But it is interesting. And then from there... Tiger has a little bit extra stuff to it. And, and as they get higher, like anything else, they're wonderful. Path of the Zealot has interesting stuff. I love that these are put in like Warrior of the Gods is one of the names of something. But it's also, when you think about it, like what this path entails. This is what a paladin would be if a paladin didn't have restraints. I talk a little bit about that overpoweredness of characters and what they are and what they represent. But this is somebody who still is holding back because if you had your God behind you, uh, especially put into all your force, it 
again gets super interesting. One of the cool things about this, and it's later on, I wish it was a little earlier. It's level 14, but I wish it was just a little sooner than that. Is that even when when you're raging, you can't die. You're just unstoppable. You do have to like have magical healing or a potion of healing before the range and rage ends <laughs> because you'll you'll be at zero and it works like um it's very scary it really does a lot if you if you push these it's a really neat mechanic when you look at the overall mechanics and then the last one as we come up to the end of our time is path of the wild magic now this is where if you want to do something a little bit more magic-y the wild path of the wild magic is actually really neat and does use cool things like the wild magic table i'm not saying that it's not an awesome funny thing to do it to me is a little bit more amazing in and of itself that just having that wild surge is one of the more cool abilities that anything gets and that is from um tasha's cauldron there is the, the concept, and you might get in this discussion if you bring up Path of the Wild Magic, which is the, the, the casting while in a rage. So traditionally, and in, in even when in the rage section of the player's handbook, and I'll read it to you, um, it says if you are able to cast spells, you can't cast them or concentrate on them while you're raging. And this just gives us like a little bit more chaotic, full energy of casting spells. But it doesn't, again... This, if you want to play it as out of control, that's fine. I'm just asking that you don't play it as dumb. And here's why. Because if you were here at the very beginning and you're just joining me now, you're going to hear this for the first time. You might hear it for a second time. 10 is not average. 10 is an average score. It's a median score, but it is not average. Just like 100 is average, but it's not the middle score of IQ. I hate to break it to everybody. But it is the average score of IQ. Eight is still intelligent. You're not overly intelligent, but you're intelligent. If you're playing D&D or you're getting into D&D or you want to play D&D and you're looking at your first character, I will be honest, Barbarian has a few things you just need to pay attention to. It's not like spell casting, especially when you do the ones out of the player's handbook. It's not a lot to pay attention to, but it is more than like a simple fighter or even a simple rogue would be. Have fun with the games. But I challenge us to change the way that we have niche and tropes in our games. And I'd like that to start with barbarians, because barbarians are beasts. They're not as scary as bards. We will get to that next week, and I will try to get Mike on here. Because he is a, a wealth of knowledge, especially when it comes to spells and bards. There are different barbarian styles to play, and before you choose what kind of personality, intelligence or even EQ that you're gonna, your character's going to have, I challenge you to look at each of the breakdowns of them that would fit more the style or what you're trying to build for that. Again, I've played a lot of games, so sometimes I get them crossed. I, I think I got this one mostly right, though. As for now, I want you to remember to love everyone. Keep it nerdy. And live your dreams. Later.
This has been a NerdWorks production.